Well, hello and welcome to Rare Nautical Reads with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing with Alain Collaz's Around the World Alone, and we're continuing Chapter 3. Monday, October 8th. There is a thin veil of clouds over the sky, but the moon is brilliantly reflected in the sea, and Venus stands out, her splendour enhanced by a maidenly halo through the veil. I feel now a familiar urge, a strong, inexpressible near compulsion to be one with the air, the sky, the water, the wind, the sun, and the moon. I think my main reason for leaving Paris was that I saw so little of the sun there. The morning meteorological report is good, and I've decided to set a course for Tristan de Cunha. Today marks the 5,000th mile at an average speed of 7 knots. My previous record, set during the 3,000 miles of the transatlantic, was 6 knots. I feel more certain than ever that I'll be able to beat the record set by Sir Francis Chichester and the Clipper ships. Tuesday, October 9th. I was awakened at 0600 hours by the compass alarm, informing me of a change in course. Set course at 1.30. I think that I've now pretty much passed through the doldrums, and I should soon encounter the southeast trade winds. During the day, I heard that Great Britain too is only about 20 hours ahead of me. I'm delighted to know it, and surprised. To celebrate, I took a three-hour nap. Then, re-energised, I decided to hoist my large spinnaker, an enormous bubble of multicoloured nylon, to take advantage of an aft wind. Wednesday, October 10th. This morning, I awoke to find Manareva lying too, brought by the lee and her bow northwest. Notwithstanding that setback, in the past 24 hours, we covered 240 miles for an average speed of 10 knots. We then crossed the Tropic of Capricorn, not with drums beating and trumpets blaring, but in a wall of fog and in a sea so rough that I was glued to the helm. At this speed, it's out of the question for me to think of leaving the helm. No automatic pilot yet invented can take the place of a human being there in rough seas. Only a man can pilot a boat according to the next wave or anticipate the movements of the boat. It's not easy for me, but on a journey like this one, and especially when I know that Manareva is moving at 15 knots, a speed that no solitary sailor has achieved before, I am ready to make any sacrifice and to put up with any discomfort. I've been brought by the lead twice already by the waves. Even so, it's still an enormous pleasure for me to pilot Manareva through such a sea. Imagine the thrill when the boat, already moving at considerable speed, is caught by a wave, lifted up and then shot forward in an exhilarating burst of even greater speed. Because I don't dare to leave the helm, I've had to postpone until tomorrow my radio contact with RTL. This evening, there were great dark clouds in the sky, and the sun set with a splendid display of purples and golds. A bank of cumulonimbus is coming from the southeast, and it signals the arrival of a low-pressure system. I've lowered the mizzen to reduce my speed, and I'm waiting for the squall. Still, my average speed is increasing, and this confirms in me my decision to alter my course to pass off Tristan Acuna, and then to hold Manareva on a straight course for the Cape of Good Hope. Thursday, October 11th. The sky cleared completely at 0400 and the Southern Cross stretched out before me. The wind has risen and I must try to take advantage of it. I ran up the mizzen and we are moving at a good speed. Once more, I took a three-hour nap. I suspect the time is coming when I won't be able to afford such luxuries. I awoke 
to bad weather and vicious little squalls. I'll have to wait and see what the future holds as far as the weather is concerned. The weather maps from Buenos Aires are all good. Friday, October 12th. Despite the trade wind sky, the wind is from the west, a good sailing wind, and I now have every hope of being able to reach Sydney in the best time of the clippers. I'm keeping up practically to the hour, in fact, to the minute and the second with tall ships. Needless to say, morale is high aboard Manareva. I've been using the spinnaker. I'm now also using my main staysail. That gives me about 1,300 square feet of sail up there. It's a very impressive sight, and I've tried to capture it on film. Saturday, October 13th. Day follows day, but the days are not all alike. Today the barometer is climbing and the wind is dropping. I've lowered my spinnaker and mizzen and hoisted my genoa. Now, late in the afternoon, my 236 square feet of sail are hanging limp. There is not even enough of a breeze for the anemometer to work. I'm on full automatic pilot. The day ends in total, absolute calm. The sea is beautiful, with a westerly and a southwesterly swell. This is the end of my fifth week, and it is time to figure out my gains and losses. The use of that term seems somehow disrespectful. I've just heard it used on the radio and on a broadcast about violence in the Middle East. Here are my figures. 1,339 miles between meridian points for the week on a straight course. My average speed was almost 8 knots. Thus far, I've come a total of 5,934 nautical miles for an average of 169.5 miles per day with an average speed of 7 knots. The Whitbread race goes on. Thursday, Adventure predicted that she could reach the Cape in two weeks. According to what I've heard from Grand Louis, the positions of the leading boats in corrected times are as follows. First, Adventure. Second, Critter. Third, Gear. Penduic 6 is now 400 miles off Rio with her new mast. I got new information during my Saturday radio contact with RTL. In real time, it seems that Great Britain 2 is in the lead, and only 33 Export is in a real position to challenge her. The other boats apparently have fallen victim to the calm weather to the north and the east. In any case, the next few days will divide the boats up into the Africans and the Brazilians, depending upon which continent they favour as they cross the South Atlantic. I expect that the first ones will arrive Sunday or Monday. There has been no news from Sayula or from Jacaranda. Cape Town Radio has asked all ships to be on the lookout for them. Sunday, October 14th. Since 0800 I've been using the large spinnaker on two booms. Earlier, I filmed the dawn from the port pontoon. I received a weather map that promises good weather. Then the sky clouded over, the barometer dropped several points, and the air has suddenly turned cool. I've just seen my first albatross, a giant bird with a wingspan of no less than 10 feet. It looked like a kind of cargo plane with its large body and its absolutely unmoving wings. The wind has now changed to the northeast and I made the necessary changes as quickly as I could, bringing down my 674 square foot spinnaker and my 337 square foot staysail, which I was using on the southerly course. I was just in time. The albatross was wheeling to port and, under his baleful stare, I did the same. I'm now reaching an area of high winds and storms from the west. I'm using my jib and Genoa. If I had to give a fundamental rule for a solitary sailor en route to Australia, it would be this. Go straight, straight, straight. Turn left at the first albatross, then relax, and let the wind do the rest. It will carry you right along. 
I talked to Jeff again this morning. We are still getting ready for the technical aspect of my layover in Sydney, and I asked him to make particularly certain that I would have the paint and varnish that I need for the hull. I might have to sand and refinish it because I've had a problem with flaking. The varnish used at Lorion has turned out to be very unsatisfactory. We ended our conversation on an optimistic note. I took the bull by the horns and announced that I would reach the Cape of Good Hope next Sunday. I think that I'm going to be amongst the first three boats of the Whitbread behind Cape Britain and 33 Export. Monday, October 15th. The wind is up and the sea is rough. I tried to do some filming but succeeded only in getting the camera thoroughly wet. Later, I did manage to get some footage of a magnificent sunset and a solitary dolphin sporting in the water. I managed to get my friend Philippe Gildow on the radio, but there was so much interference that I couldn't get much help from him on various problems that I have as a neophyte cameraman. Problems of speed, focus, filters for the zoom lens and telescopic sight, etc. My Bewley camera seems to be on the blink as a result of its bath this morning. Perhaps I'll be able to exchange it for another one and deliver the film that I've already shot, if I can make a rendezvous at sea off the Cape of Good Hope. Tuesday, October 16th. Between yesterday noon and today noon, my 39th day at sea, we covered 326 nautical miles, which sets a new record for a solitary sailor. I won't even try to explain how excited and delighted I am. Up to now, the 300-mile single-time mark was an uncrossable barrier for sailors, except, of course, for the tall ships, the three and four masters of the last century, but even they had trouble in crossing it. At the moment, I'm in the middle of a deluge, a Niagara of seawater swirling over Manoreva, but I'm in a kind of ecstasy and nothing seems to bother me. According to my calculations, I'm five or six days off the Cape of Good Hope, and I feel like a winner. Despite the delays in the Bay of Biscay and the calms I've encountered, my time is almost exactly the same as that of Cutty Sark a hundred years ago. I must say that I've been able to get excellent weather information, and thus have been able to choose my course carefully and take advantage of the weather. And for the past three days I've been riding some particularly good isobars with strong, favourable winds. All I have to do now is to keep shoveling the coal, so to speak. In effect, since I reached this area of good winds, Manoreva is like a locomotive speeding down the track. All she needs is fuel, which, in this case, is wind instead of coal. I must add, however, that at 0400 Manoreva broached, and I had a devil of a time bringing her back. I was completely soaked and the water was not exactly warm, but since I had just computed my average speed during the four preceding hours at 12 knots, I took it all in stride. It was a long morning, most of it taken up with difficult chores because of the seas and the wind. Nonetheless, at 0900, I had a regular daily contact with the boats in the race, at least with those I can reach. Adventure and Burton Cutter are silent. Grand Louis and 33 Export both tell me that that silence is deliberate and that the two latter boats are the only ones that can pick them up clearly. The positions on corrected time seem to be Adventure, CS and RB, Critter, Grand Louis, Gear, Burton Cutter and 33 Export. I use my radio contact with RTL to sing a victory hymn to myself, announcing my position as 35 degrees of southern latitude and enumerating the records that we've broken, telling how Manoreva literally cut through the waves and threw great torrents of water several yards into the air, all in a delirium of joy. Obviously, Manoreva now requires my attention almost full-time, but I don't regret it. I've now covered 6,000 miles at an average speed of 7 knots, 
compared to the 3,000 miles of the transatlantic at an average speed of 6 knots. At the moment, my daily average is 12 knots. During the evening, I spoke to my family, once more gathered at Clamacy. I was able to tell them during the night I would pass the Greenwich Meridian, my longitude at present being 0.1 degrees west. I also asked them to pass on Critter's position to the Whitbread Committee, which has been asking for it since morning. Wednesday, October 17th. I talked with Critter this morning. She has been becalmed for the past 18 hours. I also contacted 33 Export, dragging along at 3 knots. Grand Louis and Tuarega, which under Spinnaker and Stasel has covered 230 miles and says she is moving at between 15 and 18 knots. Today's meridian confirms, with a comfortable margin, yesterday's figures, which, since the sky was cloudy, was only an estimate. Today noon, the sky cleared, and I settled down to check and recheck my computations to make sure that I had indeed covered 326 miles since picking up the wind. The actual figure I came up with was 312 on the basis of my log, but on the basis of the current and other factors, several miles are added to that figure. The final figure for the period between October 15th and October 16th, from meridian point to meridian point, is 320 miles, measured in a straight line on the map. But the gain in longitude, if we are actually talking about 23 hours and 39 minutes, is 6 nautical miles and 24 miles, i.e. 326 miles. This figure would be confirmed later. I reached both Tiora and my family this evening, but the contact was so poor that I could barely hear, and I told them that I would try again the next day. Conversations with my family are now more or less reduced to a lengthy monologue aimed at Jeff, who is taping the lists of things that have to be ordered for Sydney. Some of the things I will need have already been ordered, the paint, the food, the water. Here are just a few of those items extracted from Jeff's transcribed lists. Ask Albert for the material that I'm going to need for the lateral shrouds on the mainmast, and have these made by Sama in whatever diameter Albert says I should use. Ask the Maritime Company Radio for the telegraphic manipulator that can be adapted to my equipment, and ask them for a manual also. Ask Victor to make another sea anchor for me, and order 200 feet of three-quarter inch nylon line. I've just reread Chichester and Morticier, and I'm beginning to worry about Cape Horn. Bring me an assortment of ring and swivel hook pulleys, most of which should be double. I need next year's nautical almanac, astronomical tables, which were not ready when I left. Two spinnaker poles, two jib halyards, and the halyards for the spinnaker, the mainsail and mizzen. Stainless steel safety hanks, the German ones I have made of bronze are too fragile. Red deck paint, a winch handle, rivets, nuts and bolts. And lastly, a large roll of thick flannel for interior use. I've lost some in spots, but it's still effective as padding against bumps, and I'm having much less problem in this respect than I did in the past. The radio contact with my family, lists notwithstanding, was a source of comfort to me, and was essential to my morale for the entire voyage, as well as to my eventual success. If it had not been for my family, I wonder how much time I would have had to spend in Sydney, tracking down every last item on the interminable lists that I dictated to Jeff. How pleasant it is to be able to join that which is agreeable to that which is useful, in this instance, conversations with my family, to the efficiency of my brother. I also sent a telegram to Tintin, which was much less complex than the lists because it was much less technical. Fantastic ride and fantastic wind. A thousand miles in four days and 326 miles yesterday in 24 hours. All records broken. And between Tristan de Kuna and Good Hope on the route of the tall ships, and within Cutty Sark's time, 
escorted by traditional albatrosses, best Alancola. Thursday, October 18th. I talked to Teura at 0700 via Sun Lee for eight minutes. The contact was very good for four minutes. Everything is going well and everything is falling into place for my arrival at Sydney. At 0900, I had my usual contact with the racers and found out that Burton Cutter is 340 miles west-northwest of the Cape, while 33 Export is still creeping along at two knots. According to yesterday's BBC report, the corrected time positions are CSNRB, Adventure, Critter, Gear. There is a cool wind from the west, and throughout the morning we moved along briskly in dense fog. The water is rather rough, the result of crossing swells. Nonetheless, I'm using the large spinnaker and the main staysail. During the afternoon, the fog dissipated, but I had the sun for only one hour before the clouds moved in and it began to drizzle. Irritated and impatient, I'm engaged in a running battle first with the speed regulator, which is not sensitive enough to respond at least with seven or eight knots, and above all, with the Decker automatic pilot, which keeps bearing to port. I can correct the deviation easily enough at the helm, but this means that I have to be at the helm constantly. Everything has now changed. The low, which seemed to be moving northeast, has suddenly forked out toward the southeast, and, if I had continued on the same course, I would have been becalmed. I must resign myself to going straight south. On the sea, as in life, I tend to be too optimistic, and all this happened just at the moment that I was about to catch up with 33 export. Friday, October 19th. This was not a very good day. It began in fog and drizzle with occasional squalls. The sky was cloudy and the water became increasingly rough. Moreover, it is cold and the temperature in the cabin did not climb above 57 Fahrenheit. I do not feel quite up to par, despite a delicious beef bourguignon, lovingly simmered, which I prepared in order to buck myself up. In spite of the vitamins that I'm taking in, I seem to be running at something less than full power. With the weather the way it is, I cannot take my bearings, but I estimate my position at 37 degrees 18 minutes south and 7 degrees 24 minutes east. My navigation reflects my general mood and is somewhat hesitant. Manareva was brought by the lee before I could bring myself to haul down the mizzen and then the spinnaker and send up first the light genoa and then the heavy one. Then the wind fell to zero, putting an end to a perfect day. Saturday, October 20th. The bad weather is pursuing us and I am confined below with my radio and my black thoughts. Outside, the porpoises and the albatrosses continue to be the only sentient beings that I have seen for a month. Where would I be without my radio contacts? Even those today are confined to news of the race. To cap it all, the Cape Town radio forecasts are pessimistic. As though to confirm these gloomy predictions, the colours of the sunset promise an impending battle with the elements. In fact, I'm already having a devil of time keeping Manoraver on course. Another splendid day. I console myself as much as I can with the tally for the week. 1,472 miles for an average of 210 miles per day. The total distance covered is now 7,406 miles in 42 days. Daily average, 176 miles. Average speed, 7.3 knots. Exciting figures. Saturday, October 21st. The sea is very rough, and the crossing swells have kept me jumping all morning. I have not even been able to take my usual radio break at 0900. I wonder what is happening to the Whitbread boats. Later in the day, I learned that Burton Cutter took the lead last night. What a dark horse that boat has been. Adventure, 
trailing by 100 miles, is expected today. Although today is Sunday, it will hardly be a day of rest. There are several broken slides atop the mainsail, and I've had to haul it down. I hoisted my jib and began a battle against the sea that lasted, by the clock, for three hours. I had to shinny up about a third of the mast to unblock the slides with a hammer and cold chisel, an exercise that I'm not eager to repeat. All this work simply to reach the Cape of Good Hope. Discouraged, I decided to have a lunch early at 11.30 and went below leaving the sails exactly as they were. The sea is still rough and the waves are from 13 to 17 feet high. I think that a single long radio session with Grand Louis would do me a lot of good right now. There was a real sunset this evening and shortly thereafter I could see stars in the sky. Nonetheless, I'm going to wait to see what happens. Monday, October 22nd. I was right not to trust the stars last night. The sea is very rough and I'm being thrown about like a cork by 20 or 25 foot waves. Last night, not without a touch of irony, France Inter announced my position as off the Cape of Good Hope, having covered 306 miles in the past 24 hours. There seems to have been a breakdown in communications somewhere along the line. The sky was ominously cloudy all day, and squall followed squall. The Cape Town Weather Bureau broadcast a wind warning in the area toward which we are, with some difficulty, trying to head. I am cold and tired. Fortunately, late in the evening, I was able to contact RTL and my family in Clamacy. I gave my report for the sixth week at sea, my general average, an account of the wind these past few days, my acrobatics on the mast and so forth. From my family, I received the psychological and technical support that I needed. What foolishness it was for me to head east and then to end up following the depression for four days in a row. Now I have to set a course for the Cape in a really heavy sea, I have been searching for a ray of hope in the distant lightning, but even the night brings no comfort or relief. The spectacle at least is worth watching. Some of the boats in the race have been able to reach the Cape and therefore to get some well-earned rest from the weather. Burton Cutter arrives Saturday night, followed by Adventure on Sunday afternoon. Adventure is in the lead on corrected time. Great Britain reached port Sunday night. Tuesday, October 23rd. I missed my regular 0900 radio break this morning because I had to repair a break in the cable of the anemometer. Topside, tossed about by the swells, I glimpsed a cargo ship on the horizon heading east. It is the first one that I've seen in a long time. I heard, while I was doing some needlework in the cabin, that 33 Export has entered Table Bay and is only five or six miles away from her destination. The last time I spoke to 33 Export, her crew wished me a good wind and Godspeed. Wednesday, October 24th. Oh, what irony. The wind has died down completely and I was becalmed all night. At 0900, I heard that 33 Export did indeed reach Cape Town last night. She is in 10th in corrected time. And that Grand Louis, after being becalmed for six hours during the afternoon, is now moving at 10 knots despite a torn spinnaker and a defective helm, thanks to an inside wheel. It is a very long day and I'm spending most of it in my continuing battle with the sea. It took me two hours to haul down the mizzen because the slides are defective. In the past seven days, I've covered less distance than in the preceding three days, and despite my lack of speed, I'm not getting a moment of rest. I cannot even eat in peace. My spaghetti dinner was interrupted twice by Manareva broaching. I dictated a telegram to Tintin via Senli Radio to sum up my week. 
three days in a windstorm and rough seas with waves 20 to 25 feet high in order to get around Cape of Good Hope. Difficult climb up mainmast to disengage mainsail. Sewed after dark holding flashlight in my mouth and under my arm. How I'd love to spend one night at Cape to repair boat and captain. Now heading for Australia. Cordially, Alan Collat. During my contact with RTL, I developed the same highlights, explaining in detail my problems with the slides and the blocking of the Decker automatic pilot, but also describing the phosphorescence of the waves. Near 1900 hours, on Wednesday, October 24th, my 47th day at sea, I crossed the longitude of the Cape of Good Hope. Hurrah, I say feebly. One stage of the journey is over, and without putting into port. All in all, it did not present any really serious problems. In my mind I go over the broad lines from the beginning till now, with a certain amount of satisfaction in a job well done. Now, off the Cape of Good Hope, at the crossroads of two oceans, I feel like celebrating. Except that, just as I was about to cross the longitude of the Cape, the sea started up again and I began a rather frightening dash over the waves at more than 20 knots. For a while, when the wind was down, I realised that drifting was dangerous in those waves and that speed was absolutely necessary. At this point, I must take into account that ordinary, everyday navigation is no longer enough and the time has come for some pretty fancy sailing. This is a serious game and I must learn the rules as fast as I can. The first rule, no doubt, is that of prudence. I have lowered the mainsail and the number one jib and hoisted my number two jib which gives me a cruising speed of eight knots. After all, every mile covered until now was pretty much the work of Manareva. Absorbed in steering and maintenance chores, I did not have time to be bored, and if the thousand little shipboard jobs I had to do every day left me little time for rest, it was all to allow me finally to see the spectacle of the elements unleashed before my eyes. Perhaps a rundown of my daily routine aboard Manareva will give some idea of what I mean. Rise with the dawn for a look at the sky which results in the first moment of joy or of disgust. The night was spent in either case broken into sections, two or three hours of sleep at a time, interspersed with periods at the helm. Sleep was reduced further when we were near shore or when there were freighters in the area. Then scan the horizon and make minor adjustments before extinguishing the running lights. After a quick breakfast, the first session with the sextant, before my radio break. Then position finding. Next is the time for urgent chores, such as repairing torn sails and so forth, or, if there are none, for writing in my schoolboy copybooks, red cover for my log, yellow for radio contacts. At the end of the morning, weather permitting, it is time to observe the meridian, high noon, which, with a few mental calculations, gives me an exact latitude. Immediately thereafter, enter the latitude on the chart and compute Manareva's position. Finally, draw the course to be followed. The first real break comes with lunch, followed by coffee. Then I hook up my generator to make my various radio contacts and afterward to recharge the batteries. The afternoon begins with work at the helm and, if circumstances allow, either reading or, the wind permitting, meditation over the charts. This is my time for thinking, for nostalgia and for hoping. I alternate visits to the helm, short naps or cups of tea, another session with a sextant just to check my earlier calculations, and the afternoon is at an end. At dusk, when the stars begin to come out, a further check with the astronomical tables will remove any lingering doubt. It is then time to begin preparation of the evening meal. 
hot food does wonders for morale. Moreover, as a good Frenchman, I have always been careful to honour the traditions of my country in the care that I take in preparing my food. No doubt, the Indian Ocean will upset my daily routine somewhat, but then, that is its right, and I will not argue. Well, that's the end of today's chapter. We're going to continue with the story tomorrow. Now, if you haven't already, consider please going over to patreon.com forward slash the mariner. You can follow the link in the podcast description. And there we have a growing community of people just like yourself who are interested in sailing, interested in seamanship and interested to learn more techniques and tips that can help their time on their boat be safer and more enjoyable. So at $5 a month, your donation directly contributes to me being able to produce the podcasts and keeps the lights on, keeps the wheels going round. But if you are interested in developing your skills further, then you may be interested to increase your contribution to the next level up, to the mate level. And there for $20 a month, you get access to the one hour professionally produced seamanship training videos that we do each month which drill down and look at specific aspects of seamanship and safety at sea, get into the nitty gritty of it and uh, share with you information that can make your time at sea both more enjoyable and safer. So if any of that sounds interesting, go along to patreon.com forward slash the mariner or follow the link in the podcast description and become part of the community. But that's all for today. So I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.